If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Just as a reminder, this is part 23 of a multi-part series. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John. We've been looking at the question of the age of the earth and whether it is important or not. We saw that the Bible does teach that the earth is about 6,000 years old, which contradicts the claim of secular science that it is 4.6 billion years old. Some apologists, the so-called old age creationists, accept that the Earth is 4.6 billion years old and say that teaching it is 6,000 years old, which is young Earth creationism, is a stumbling block to apologetics and drives people away from the Gospel. If that were so, we cannot change what the Bible says about this, and in fact, the broad data seems to show that the opposite. We lose people when we compromise on what the Bible teaches about creation. The most comprehensive study of which we know on this issue found that believing the Bible has errors in it, as it would if it were to be wrong about creation, is much more significant factor in causing young people to abandon the church than a supposed contradiction between the Bible and secular science. We saw that the world's top Hebrew experts from leading universities who do not believe in inerrancy, so do not feel the need to make the Bible fit with the claims of secular science, all agree that Genesis 1 certainly teaches that God created the world in six earth rotation, 24-hour days. Then we began to look at what is said by Christians who argue that the earth is 4.6 billion years old, and we saw that they not only make certain errors about the laws of science, but particularly that they overlooked the fact that the entire creation week was a week of miraculous activity. The laws of science did not take over the operation of the universe until after the six days of creation were finished. Furthermore, scientific data such as the radiometric dating that supposedly shows the Earth is 4.6 billion years old only does so if invalid assumptions are used. Much scientific data actually shows the Earth is young. Next, we looked at the arguments old age creationists raise to deny the plain meaning of Genesis 1. Next, we looked at the arguments old creationists raise to deny the plain meaning of Genesis 1, such as claiming the word translated day here can mean long periods of time. But in fact, in the form in which it appears in Genesis 1, it can only mean an earth rotation 24-hour day or the daylight portion of it. We saw that plants could indeed have been made appear in one day and Adam could have certainly named all the animals that existed within a day. We also saw that day 7 is a 24-hour day, even though the ending is not mentioned. God rested or ceased from his creative work. This cannot mean the day continues till now. Now, it should be noted the age of the earth is not a scientific issue. A Christian is saved regardless of what he believes about the age of the earth. Nevertheless, Christian teachers and apologists still need to teach the biblical truth about this matter. We cannot deny what the Bible says and still maintain that we are upholding biblical authority. 
old age creationists bring up a canard of church opposing Galileo's ideas that the earth moves about the sun, but actually it was a scientist of the day who opposed his view. And the Bible doesn't actually say the earth does not move in space. It does say that God created the world in a maximum of 7,687 years ago. In addition, attempts to separate the first two verses of Genesis 1 from the rest of the chapter to allow for a long passage of time between verse 2 and 3 also fail. The days do not begin with, and God said, as this phrase appears more than once in the same day a couple of times. It is a formula, there was evening and morning on the sixth day that marks the end of each day, so that all before it belongs to that day, meaning day one started with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Day 7 doesn't require this closing formula because it is not followed by another day of creation. If you look at the tenses of the verbs in the Hebrew text, we see in the first two verses they're perfect and after that imperfect. But that does not indicate the passage of time between Genesis 2 and 3. This is actually the standard style for historical narrative. There are things in the Bible that modern science has helped clarify, such as healing of the blind man in Mark 8, 22-25, but none of these contradict what the text says. We looked at the gambit that there could be billions of years between the days, but we saw that does not work. The creation of plants in a 24-hour day 3 and then billion years later the creation of sun in a 24-hour day 4 and the creation of all the land animals on a 24-hour day 6 cannot be reconciled with the old age secular science. So unable to reconcile the biblical creation with secular science, some old age creationists have resorted to claiming that the creation account in Genesis 1 was never intended to be taken as history, but as a metaphor. However, there is nothing in the text to justify such a claim, and this approach opens up the door to writing off all the miracles in the Bible as mere metaphors. Furthermore, treating Genesis 1 as a metaphor is only the start. It then becomes dramatized history and then mytho-history. Now we continue our discussion. So you, you think it's fair to say that they're saying that the Bible is just another piece of Near Eastern literature? Well, let's hear it from Dr. Craig. And so the same sorts of grand themes that you find in Genesis 1 to 11 are characteristic of other ancient Mesopotamian myths. Now, this does not, I argue, show borrowing on the part of ancient Hebrews, but what it does show is that it's the same kind of literature. It, it belongs to the genre of myth in the folklorist sense. There you have it, Sonia. You heard that. He said Genesis and other ancient Mesopotamian myths. That certainly sounds like he's saying Genesis is an ancient Mesopotamian myths. And he said Genesis may not have borrowed from these others, but it's the same sort of thing. Well, I think that that doesn't make sense because... Look, if, if we, uh, we, we believe the biblical worldview, Genesis was there first, so maybe the others borrowed elements from them, and then they uh, added the myth element. Well, they wouldn't say that Genesis was there first, nor would we. The events of Genesis happened first, but we believe that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books. Moses wrote the book of Genesis and he would have been writing somewhere between 1446 and 1406 BC, probably sometime after 
they came out of uh, Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness. And some of these Mesopotamian writings do predate that. But the events being described obviously were, the events being described obviously were earlier and they were historical. So it's not in fact surprising that ancient cultures, Babylonian, Sumerian, and so on, would have some of the same kind of ideas. If indeed God destroyed the world with a worldwide flood, as the Bible says he did, and then the earth was repopulated from these these eight original people, then yes, the, the Babylonians, the, the Sumerians, they would have been descendants of these, and they would have carried these stories down through the generations. Uh, same thing with the creation account. So it's not surprising that there are parallels. But the pagan myths are very, very grotesque and altered compared to the very sober accounts in Genesis. Skeptics, of course, liberal scholars want to say that, no, no, the Babylonians had it first, the Sumerians had it first, and the Bible borrowed this and changed it. And Craig then is saying, no, no, we, they didn't borrow it, but still, it's the same kind of mytho-history as these others had. Uh, so let's continue and see where this will end up taking us. Now, you write the following in that First Things article. You say this, and I'll quote you. Since the Pentateuchal author has an interest in history, he intends for his narrative to be at some level historical, to concern people who actually lived and events that really occurred. But those persons and events have been clothed in the metaphorical and figurative language of myth, end quote. What, what ideas, what thoughts come to your mind when you hear something like this? Okay, does he know Hebrew? If not, how does he know what's metaphorical or figurative language? Well, there, there's nothing in the Hebrew that would give it. I think we've already established the fact that when scholars do this, when apologists do this, it is because they're trying to hold on to the Bible while still embracing the claims of atheistic science. But I find it interesting when he, he talks, first he talks about the Pentateuchal author, so he's not going to say it was Moses. But the Pentateuchal author had an interest in history, he says, but it's all clothed in myth. So he doesn't believe that the Pentateuchal author was inspired by God and just wrote what God told him? Somehow the entire concept of inspiration and God-breathed is absent from scholarly studies of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. The idea seems to be considered very gauche. Once upon a time, when scholars embarked upon this path, the justification was to say that, look, we will treat the Bible like any other book to prove that it's not like any other book. Please note that this is a multi-part series. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. But that eventually became, we'll treat the Bible like any other book, period. The initial idea, we'll treat the Bible like any other book, to prove it's not like any other book, 
is is a fool's errand. It's a mugs game. Why is why would is that a mugs game? Well, you you can't treat it like any other book because other books are not inspired by God. Exactly. If if your conclusion is it's not like any other book, then your initial approach of treating like any other book is obviously not going to work. So it was a, a mugs game in the first place. But they went from treat the Bible like any other book to prove that it's not like any other book. It became just treat the Bible like any other book. And if you're looking at the high-level evangelical scholarship now, it's treat the Bible like any other book because it is like any other book. They may, some of them still say, well, we believe in inspiration. We believe it's the word of God. But in terms of how they actually treat it, what we see from uh, William Lane Craig here is actually very typical. Going back to his comment, when he says that the Pentateuchal author has an interest in history, but he clothes his account in myth, we'd have to ask why. If he's interested in history, why does he toss in a bunch of fake stuff? Especially since the secular science evolution theory did not exist in those days. Yeah, there, there, there doesn't seem to be any rationale given why an author interested in history would toss in a bunch of, not to put too fine a point on it, fake stuff, made up stuff. Why? And what do we do then with the Bible's own self-testimony in uh, Psalm 119, verse 160, where it says, The entirety of your word is truth. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part, same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.